Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. Security depends on technology, processes and above all, on people. And often people are the weakest link. Research suggests that four out of five breaches are caused by insiders. But this is not always due to malicious activity. Far from it. More often, it's people trying to do the right thing and making a genuine mistake. The challenge for all organisations is to cut those to the minimum, through training, awareness and even by creating a security culture. Over the next three episodes, Security Insights will talk to experts, each with their own unique approach to security awareness and their own views on what does and what doesn't work. Our first guest is Simeon Quarry, founder of Vivida. Quarry has been using virtual reality and storytelling tools to produce security training, mostly for large corporates. And he's now working to apply some of those tools to a much more distributed workforce. I started by asking Simeon why he moved into cybersecurity. I um, had money taken out of my bank account. <laughs> I had money taken out of my bank account and um, uh, cybersecurity wasn't a subject that I was really that familiar with. It wasn't a subject that really mattered to me that much until that moment. Um, it was just before payday um, for my staff We've been doing all sorts of really cool, interactive um, uh, kind of storytelling, um, animation storytelling, etc. And then to be there um, just before the, you know, the, 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 the pay goes out for staff and realize that the account was emptied, all of a sudden I was like, right, what has happened here? Um, what's caused this? Was it my fault? Um, etc. And that was the moment that that subject really bubbled forth. And I started to from that point on start to think like how can we use um our storytelling approach to really start to drive the understanding of the subject so i would say i'm 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 not from your typical like security 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 background right i've come from in a way from the other direction i feel very much like um one of the people in a way if you see what i mean like i i'm a i'm representative of an employee absolutely got load more knowledge um now from from going through that process but it's i'm almost being able to capture that that kind of aha moment um as well as the oh beep moment and utilize that to start to um drive creation of content that is different so stepping back what were you doing before what were you doing before that happened um we were just taking a we were taking a common sense approach um, there was, you know, there's no formal compliance, you know, at, at the time with things, you know, related to, 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 to SME. Um, we were actually, we were, where we were getting a lot of our learnings from is, is that we were doing a lot of work with people like Barclays Bank. Um, we were, you know, we were helping them storytell on subjects like resilience. And of course that overlapped into um, cyber resilience. And we got to interview people like William Dixon, who's now, you know, economic forum, etc. And from that, we started to go, ah, ah, okay. Uh, and we had to um, apply those understandings 
um, to our to ourselves. So just tell us what the business was before you embarked on cyber awareness training as part of it. Essentially, I like to take subjects that people find complicated, um, difficult to understand, maybe subjects that people have heard over and over again, and they stop caring about that particular subject or a subject is just really boring. And we've got a kind of this background of trying to use storytelling in order to turn those subjects on them on the head and make those subjects really matter. Um, we were creating content for the likes of Barclays and, you know, we were there creating and they were winning the awards um, for the work that we had, you know, we, we had been doing. Um, and essentially we then started to look at what we were creating and the impact. Um, and we were challenged actually by Sky. Um, Sky turned around to us and said, oh, you know what you've been doing with the virtual reality. Um, you're doing experience for us based on um, fire training, right? Where what we would do is we needed to help people understand why they needed to get out of the building when the fire alarm went off, right? Because we've all been there. Fire alarm goes off and you end up sitting around um, going should I leave? How long can I stay? Do I go back and get my bag? So we were building a VR experience to place people in a building that was on fire with the fire department there in front of you with your torch in your hand. So they said to us, Oh, what do you think? Do you think you could come up with something for, for, for cybersecurity? And these are, you know, the key messages that we're, we're trying to get across. And I love a challenge. And um, we came up with an, an idea where we would place someone directly face to face with a cyber criminal. And that was the moment when we went, you know, something, we've created something that's so cool. Sky, um, you're not going to, sorry, you're not going to keep this. This is going to be for Vidas. Um, do you mind? No, 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 no. We want to help as many people as possible. And that's your mandate. And that's really where things started to get super exciting. Um, office of the London Office of Rapid Cyber Advancement or Lorca was seeing what we were doing, the DCMS seeing what we were doing related to cyber and going, right, how is it? How can you scale this? How can you reach as many people as possible? Um, can you apply your storytelling approach with the interactivity and the immersive nature and use that um, to totally change um, security awareness? Uh, and I love those type of challenges. What do you feel about the bulk of security training that people need to do in business at the moment? I would start off by saying I don't enjoy training, full stop, as an individual. Um, at a human level, I feel like I'm allergic to it. I struggled with it in school. Um, I was the kid at the back of the class who um, was listening but was bored by the style of the content. I'm an 80s kid, so it's kind of the worksheets, um, you know, numbers, words, letters, and it makes me shudder thinking about it. So the one, the lessons that really stood out were the ones that were um, either in, in, interactive, either involved um, storytelling, or they were just creative because of the approach of the of, of the teacher. Um, so when I look at a lot that happens in the training space and within security awareness. Um, it's it's to me still links back to the dry um, more boring approach um often yeah it's more clip out clip art style you know um uh, visuals and that automatically makes me um sit back and go oh, i don't want to do that and, and I think in reality is, is that when it comes to things like the necessary compliance, mandatory training, 
um, even security awareness. It's not something that people necessarily want to do because the subject, unfortunately, doesn't really matter that much to them. So when they are forced to do something, it's like force feeding a child to eat vegetables. It's not an enjoyable experience. Um, and I think I'm that way. So all I'm trying to do is work out, hmm, can we take those vegetables and like a parent does, mix it round with, um, you know, things that are more tasty. And all of a sudden you're like, hmm, okay, that's actually, yeah, that, that, that's, that's not too bad. And you're getting that goodness. So we're, it, it, it's that principle in essence that we are trying to utilize when it comes to things, you know, to security awareness. So at the risk of stretching the analogy too far, you're hiding bits of beetroot in the chocolate brownie. <laughs> yeah, I'll accept that. <laughs> but, Simon, why does this matter? Why does the prevalence of answer these three multi-choice questions and click onto the next screen training matter to organisations that want to be more secure? Why is that a problem? So I, I think that the the moment you're sat in front of something that immediately looks dry, um, boring, and typical, you put your your mind goes into a into a particular state, and that state is not conducive to the change that you're trying to enact. Um, you 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 have to motivate people and help them want to change. Um, so. I, I think that that's one of the that's one of the issues. But then the other issue is is that we know that the subject of cybersecurity is massively important, but it doesn't have the same levers that physical safety does. And education related to physical safety is hard enough when you're talking about something that's life and death. So, like your fire example. So, like your fire example, right? Um, subject is really important, but you you automatically still in your mind you you go back to the you know that 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 more boring format of training related to health and safety, um, and that's something that is you know if you don't do this then you could die right. Um, you you look at things like what happened with 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 Grenfell. Um, you know, and I've had the privilege of, you know, spending some time with Sir Ken Knight, who's had been doing a lot to do with Grenfell and, and the aftermath. And and you start to really unpick um, the, you know, the importance and the significance of making these subjects matter to people. It's even harder in some ways with cybersecurity, um, but it's really, really important because from a business level, we've got um, a high level of risk. Um, we're seeing things like ransomware massively on the increase, and we're seeing it working um, from a cyber criminal business perspective. It's good business for them. Um, so the increase has ended up, is, you know, is there. The other thing is, is that people are now working from home, which now starts to um, amplify certain risks, um, and where and people's environment. When it comes to the likes of training, you're having to compete. So, for example, on one screen, you've, you've probably you need Netflix, your, your Apple TV, you've got the, the, you know, the PlayStation. Um, you've, you've got those things. You're in that mindset. You're in your personal space, which has been, you know, you may, you may have spent time decorating, etc. The aesthetic, the expectation in that environment is different 
to the stereotypical, you know, the way it used to be with the square cubicle inside the inside the office. And I think what ha- what's happened is the culture and the dynamic of organizations has actually changed quite a bit. Like you think back to that visual of the square cubicle, the way corporate business used to be, um, and you imagine the training that took place then in that moment, what was created. And then you move to more of the tech, you know, vision kind of Google-esque type of environment, even a corporate environment like an EY that we've worked with, right? It still moved forward, but the training component in some ways has still remained in that little cubicle. Um, So I think there's plenty of reasons why we know that there needs to be this shift in the way that people are educated um, and in the way that we help people understand subjects and make those subjects matter. But when we work from home, do we drop our guard? It's a really good question. I, I think that we're easier to distract, right? Because we've got, um, I know for me, for, my, for myself, you know, thinking during lockdown, I've got sometimes the kids in the background, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm juggling many things. And as a result, the attention level isn't there. And that inherently um, brings about a new level of risk. And for many of organizations, you're now, you're not, well, you, you, as in, if you're an employee working from home, you don't have the same level of infrastructure around you. You don't have the same amount of signposting that you would have in that corporate environment. Sometimes just being inside an environment frames your mind where you become more aware of risk. You become more aware of the fact that I'm working for this enterprise, for this organization, um, or for this business. And that's that you become more risk averse, right? But when you're inside your safe place and you see it as a safe place, um, cushions, the, the, the sofa, you know, your personal mug, um, all of a sudden, how does that then start to affect your behavior um, and your thought process? Well, absolutely. That's part of the the interface between physical and cyber security as well. So when you go into a building and you go through the barrier, you swipe your card, you show your ID to the security person behind the desk. You know, you go up to the office, you log on, you may have two-factor authentication. And there's that culture around the business that, again, it depends on the business that you're in, but some of the clients certainly you've discussed and some of the people that I've worked with in the past you know you have a clear desk culture there's no sensitive documents left lying around Uh, computers are locked when they're not in use you know you go into your spare room in your pajamas it's a totally different environment so how does that affect practical security the point you've raised there um about that difference in mindset because of the location is a is a key factor um and and that's why when we you know, we look at the effects of um, physical training. We, that's why we have to up our game. That's why essentially we can't just do what we've always done because it, it, it just, it now just doesn't work. Um, it was not necessarily working effectively before, but we know that this is a pivot point. This is a transform. We're going through transformation, um, digital um, on an emotional, on so many levels, we're going through transformation. What we're wanting to try and do is to use this opportunity now to, whilst people are in that transformational mindset, to keep people going on that, 
you know, on that, on that journey. Um, I think the other way that we also make sure that we make this subject of cybersecurity matter um, on a digital and physical level is by also understanding that we're in a home environment with families. And, and actually, those, um, you care about your family much more than you would care about a business. That's the reality of it. So what we have to do is we have to include that in the messaging. Um, so we're, we're, we're upskilling from a business perspective, but also upskilling from a personal level. And if possible, you know, what would happen if a, if one of the young, you know, if a young child looked over your shoulder, um, would they be um, intrigued by um, what you were doing? We, we, we had a, um, a note from a, someone in security awareness in the, in, in the States and they were looking at what we had done. And whilst they were um, using what we had created, the child was going, oh, what's that? And they sat on the lap and they started to interact and, and, and go through that, that journey just because um, you're touching both sides of people's life, the business component, but we've got this brilliant opportunity to utilize the things that people really care about, family, home life, um, and make, blend the two together. You describe what you do as immersive security awareness training. So for people who've not seen it, describe what that actually entails. How do they interact with the, the information that they need to absorb and retain? So two levels. One is full virtual reality, like in the headset. So um, we're, the, we're the team essentially that um, with Lloyd's Banking Group created a um, interactive dark web mission control center. What we decided to use to do is to use storytelling, which is our key pillar, right? Utilizing the structure of storytelling. And then what we were able to do is send the individual into the, almost like the red team environment, right? We would send them directly into uh, the criminal side so they can then start to understand, okay, looking at the criminal's computer screens, what are they stealing? How are they getting access to it? What can we do to minimize and mitigate that, 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 that risk? And, and when you're in that environment, because it becomes a lived experience, it becomes very, very powerful, very, very, um, very, very memorable. Um, and, and so utilizing that full-on immersive where you've got sound, the ability to interact through touch, um, the sight, even the movement is, 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 is really something. But then what has, has, has happened is due to the COVID-19, um, we've actually started to think, right, well, how can we take these core principles and utilize them in a way that is on, distributed online and interactive and still nod to those same principles of interactivity and immersive in, in nature? Um, and that can be done through, yes, the use of storyline and plot, absolutely. But it can also be used by, you know, some of the interactivity and the ability in some cases to even look around and to search um, for for items, for clues, etc. So does that help with retention of the information? Stories have been used to help people retain key information and pass it on. With story, what happens is, is you end up rooting for a character, um, rooting for the individual to overcome obstacles. Now, what you can do with interactive is you turn the individual into that character, into that protagonist. And so you get to use some of those elements and um, also potentially even to use the principles of, of, 
of gamification. Um, and gamification can be both in content form, i.e. the style, um, which we do use, um, and then also from the perspective of um, interactivity, which can be used for potentially nudging, per, you know, nudging purposes, reinforcing particular elements of um, which then help you to retain. Um, so absolutely, I, I think that these are tools that we have in our arsenal, and they're not just for Vida, but they're things that we should be utilising in order to be able to, um, you know, create a, a shift. The aim for us is, I want to avoid being lazy where possible, right? Um, often from a, um, and I, and I, and I, this is something that I, I will always fight for and have to struggle with, right? From a business perspective, what happens is, is you choose the shortest route, the easiest thing you can do, the most scalable thing you can do, um, and and you try and do one percent better than others. But the the reality is that for the type of change that we want to create, and I actually believe the industry want to 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 create. Because I feel that from speaking to those insecurity awareness, they're exceptionally mission-driven, exceptionally mission-driven. Um, that this is an opportunity where we can actually innovate, push forward, um, and change people's perceptions of, of, of the subject. And it's interesting that the way you're describing the storytelling and the narrative, that is actually something that goes back thousands of years, you know, fairy tales and parables and other stories passed down from generation to generation. The power of the story is why those things have that life and have stayed around for so long. But then if you take the old parable or fairy tale or story passed down from generation to generation, it's linear. There's no agency, there's no opportunity for the person participating in that to change the outcome. Hmm. So what we can do with interactivity is allow people to see the consequences of their decisions. So is that part of what you're trying to do, what you're trying to do that's different? Yes, it is. Um, you described that really well. It's that ability to be able to make a decision and have consequence. Um, and I, I think that one of the things I've observed that is a really interesting challenge is this difference between compliance and mandatory and then also the awareness side. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've already, we've been involved in this, this, this overlap between the two, because the thing is I want mandatory that the training that has to be done to be interesting and engaging and to use story and interactivity. Um, the challenge is, is that from a business perspective, what the business needs is they want everyone to pass, right? Uh, and and they want the, you know, they they want the hundred percent outcome, um, and the learning component is no, the learning's there, but the insight isn't necessarily there from the results of the interaction, and and that's why what we're noticing is is that sometimes there has to be that little separation. There's this opportunity to take the mandatory and turn it from the dull and the boring and the disconnected, etc., into something that's engaging, interesting, and then lay that foundation for that story, utilize that story. But then when we start to look to things like awareness, where we actually are able to have a um, bit more consequence, more agency, um, then we can drive that. We can, we can drive that interactivity um, further. This is why I come back to the point about retention. And when I talk to, to CISOs, that's often the biggest problem that they have. They said, look, we've trained people to do this, but they still make the mistake. They still double click on that attachment. They still go onto that website, even though there's a warning saying that they, they shouldn't and it's insecure. Why? And they'll ask that question, why? 
And some of the training that's out there, as you say, it's very bland, it's very dreary. It's difficult to imagine retaining the information tomorrow, let alone in three months' time when that phishing email comes onto your desk. So can we turn that around and make it more effective and also start to thinking about awareness rather than results-based training? I believe we can turn it around. This is why we, you know, we're, I'm dedicating all of our resources and capabilities to, um, to doing that. The key thing is that we have to utilise those key fundamentals of, of, of storytelling. We have to utilise the, the tools we've, we've got. But yes, we have to make sure that there is a, um, an understanding of expectation. Right now, what there's this, and I understand it totally, and, and look, we're part of this, using the interactivity to then garner data that then, you know, we can then start to, um, to, to, to utilise. But it's not just the data component that's really important. What we're trying to do is we're trying to affect people's hearts and, and minds. Now, if you were, you, you think back to the seatbelt um, campaigns, you think back to the don't drink and drive. Um, would you not do them if, you know, you, yes, you've got the figures going down, absolutely, um, you know, over time, but everyone understands that there needs to be this societal shift and this societal change and this change of attitude, which is much harder to quantify. At the moment, what happens with security is we see security as something that's done for us by others. It, it belongs to another agency. The security agency is doing that behind the scenes, you know? Um, uh, MI5 is looking after those bits. Like, but the reality here is, is that there is a massive onus on us as individuals. There are things that we can do to dramatically minimize um, that risk. But what we have to do is we have to help people understand the subject. The term cybersecurity for many um, creates a level of, of disconnect. I'm not sure personally that the term cybersecurity is the right term. I utilize it. The reason being is it's the term that everybody uses. But I don't feel like it's the right term to describe um, what we're actually dealing with here uh, or the right term to help the end consumer or employee, um, one and the same, um, count this subject as being personally important. So what you're saying there, if I'm interpreting it correctly, sounds to me as if actually this is a societal problem or a societal challenge rather than one specifically for business. And particularly with the changes we've had over the last nine months uh, with COVID and many more people working remotely and working from home. Actually, we're talking about individual awareness rather than this being something that you only do at work and is driven by the IT security team somewhere deep in the basement of the office building. It's actually something that we need to do ourselves. Is that where you think this is going to head? Actually, it'll be something that all individuals need to do, engage with security awareness, rather than you only do when you turn up to work. 100%. I think that's partly why this challenge feels so big, is it feels like this is all on business to be able to do it. The reality is, is it's business that gets to um, force, for want of a better word, um, the requirement of training and being aware. But I don't think that this belongs to just solely to business. We have to look at this in the way that we would with something like climate change. Um, and we have to understand 
the what we're dealing with now and the effects of the now, but we also have to have the foresight to see where this could be going if we don't make necessary changes now and if we don't have a level of awareness and understanding now. Um, you know, are there similarities between the way we have to change people's mindsets from a petrol car to an electric car? When psychologically, I've grown up lusting after the engine that sound, you know, is a V8, and you know, but now having to change my psychology to want the silent car. Um, and when we look at those principles, um, are there principles that we can take across into security as well? And I think that there definitely is, uh, 100%. David is Simeon Quarry on how security training needs to adapt to a world where we're away from the social prompts and physical reminders of the office environment. That, though, is all for this week's episode. We'll be back in two weeks' time, on Tuesday, January the 24th, for the second part in this series. Our guest then will be Melanie Oldham, CEO of Bob's Business. I hope you can join us then. Meanwhile... You can catch up with past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk. And of course, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Spotify. Thanks again for listening. Security Insights was written and presented by Stephen Pritchard. Security Insights is produced by ENS Media, www.ensmedia.co.uk.